It's June 11th, 2020, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks Podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. We're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Well, we actually made it back this week. Yay! Although I, I think I'm slowly losing my voice, so I'm I'm hoping I make it all the way through the podcast. <laughs> Allergy still got you under the weather? I think a little everything's got me under the weather. It's kind of strange. Um, usually I lose my voice at least twice, maybe three times a year. It's either like a, a sinus thing or when we're on vacation and we're in some place smoking because we're not used to cigarette smoke. That's usually been the one that really does it. We, I lost it for two days in New Orleans a couple of years ago. Yeah, James thought it was funny, but I, I thought I was going to have to punch him in the face because I was like, I was miserable. And, you know, you want to talk to everybody, but you can't. So everyone hold out hope that I'll, I'll make it all the way through this today. <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, we we thought we would take take and do, um, we really enjoyed doing the, the 10 things that people don't know that architects do. So we thought this podcast, we might actually talk about the things that we don't do <laughs> that people think we might actually do yeah and and yeah last week we mentioned on the podcast you know that we were going to have Faye and james on but um uh, unfortunately Faye got really busy with quarter closing stuff um that's the limit of the accounting jargon i want to get into <laughs> so we had to shuffle our schedule around a bit so instead of hearing from our significant others this week, I, I we thought it'd be interesting to do that uh, the follow up episode to the you do that. <laughs> yes, the the you don't do that, right? Yeah. So now instead of doing a, a top ten list today, we're going to be introducing the idea of what architects don't do in chronological order. I, I thought we'd try something a little different there um and what does that mean well it means we're going to start at so you've decided you want to become an architect <laughs> and go through becoming an architect getting a job learning on the job and then talking to clients as you the hypothetical you uh start getting your own projects to work on <laughs> okay well i mean and, and for everyone, it sounds a little weird that that's the way we're describing it but it made more sense for, you know, as Matthew and I were talking about this, it made a lot more sense for us to do the sort of thing of, these are all kind of common, the common things that happen, but it made sense to start really at the beginning and kind of get you all the way down to the end. So if you'll just hang in with us and stick with us, and we promise it's going to make sense as we go along. <laughs> so Matthew is going to kick off the first thing and the first topic we're talking about is math. Yeah. To start you know, a career in architecture, you usually enter college on track to earn a bachelor's degree in architecture. Uh, now, if you're talking with anyone about what major you start in uh, and you say, oh, I'm, I'm becoming an architect or I'm trying to become an architect, uh, the first reaction or that you'll get from a lot of people is, wow, you must be good at math, or I want to become an architect, but I'm just not that good at math. Something to that effect, usually. <laughs> oh, yeah. Always, always the, 
Yeah, I, I, I wanted to do that, but I wasn't good at math. That's that's the most common response I hear. And and I I wasn't particularly useful when it came to math beyond your high school pre-cal or calculus classes. <laughs> but you don't I don't feel like you have to be good at complex math in architecture to really make it in this business. <laughs> well, well, you, you don't, I mean, that's, that's the truth of it. You, you need to be able to know how to read a ruler that helps a lot because you're going to be using an architect scale and you have to be able to understand quarters and halves and eights. So you have to have some basic skill there, but for the most part, there isn't really anything that complex that we do. Um, you get kind of, and I've I've had a few times where you're trying to add dimensions together. So how much does an inch and a half and three eighths and seven eighths and a quarter all add up to? And that's about as complicated as it's going to get. Well, then you just use your computer for that. <laughs> if you don't want to put the brain power into it. Oh yeah, completely. I'm like, oh, well, I, I actually have a have a um, app on my phone because who doesn't? That is actually a an app where I can actually add dimensions together. I can convert from inches to feet or feet to inches, whatever I need to. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a cheat that yes, you're, you have to understand some basics, but you really don't have to understand anything that's really too complex. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. We don't do math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that goes Right up to point number two, as you're going through school, usually by your second year at the latest, you know, the professors will have you start making physical models of some kind to express and present your ideas to the class and, and at juries and things like that. And it's a great tool to have. And there are plenty of references in pop culture that would help reinforce the idea to the general public that architects do models uh, or physical models as part of their job. You know, I can think of plenty of episodes on the Simpsons and how I met your mother, uh, where th that all showcase architects building physical models. And, you know, while that's great in school, the day to day, the day to day jobs, of architects don't require building physical models you know for starters they're expensive my first office completed two models in the 20 years or so that they've been around and and they were about four feet wide four feet long and two feet tall you know it's a pretty substantial model um but it costs the client somewhere in the neighborhood of $30,000 to, to build both of them. And on top of that, the people who worked with them had to do so after hours. It wasn't even on regular company time. Wow. Well, I would, I would hope that they were, that they got some of that $30,000. I mean, come on to have to work after, after, after all your normal stuff that you do during the day and then to have to, to, do a physical model and they're very hard. They're, they're very time consuming and very tedious because you got an exacto and chipboard and you're trying to cut out openings and windows and all these sorts of things. So it can get to really, really be challenging on that aspect. And, and even now I was thinking back on this, 
The last physical model I saw was in 2005, and it was a 3D printed model. It wasn't even done by hand. It was a 3D printed model, and that's the last one I've seen because we're at a point where everyone now does everything in 3D. Everything is rendered. Um, the last, the only, or the last, the only commercial firm I ever worked for had four guys who did all of their modeling in 3D, and that's the only thing they ever presented to the client. So we've gotten very much away from doing these physical models to the point, well, we can tell a client we don't really do that, but we can do a rendering for you so you can see how the building's going to look. And that's about as far as as far as we really go with that anymore. Wow. And a 3D printed model in 2005, 3D printing hadn't even really taken off back then. Yeah. Oh, and it, it was a big big model and we were just like everyone's like wow this is so cool but they were using it for like wind testing um because the, the building was so tall and apparently it didn't pass muster very well so oh you know. no oh yeah yeah it's kind of fun but anyway so so we don't make models but the other thing that that i think people don't realize is that architects really don't make a lot of money. We don't make tons of money. Oh, I, I wish that was in the job description. <laughs> you know, you know, once, yeah, once you graduate from school with your brand new shiny architecture degree, you're looking for a job. You can look online, cold call, ask friends, and <laughs> but you know, yeah, you're right. In in my first search for a job school, non-architect friends and, and acquaintances would would definitely say oh yeah you're an architect you're gonna make a lot of money one day and <laughs> i feel like that's that's one area that the general public is maybe slightly off about because yeah we don't make much money <laughs> as compared to other 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 professionals in the field with similar levels of uh education and uh continuing education and and testing that they have to go through because like doctors and lawyers you know who are also responsible for the health safety and welfare of of people um they make a lot more coming coming straight out of school than than we ever would <laughs> yeah the, very true and, and kind of sad but and there are architects don't get us wrong there are architects out there who do very well a lot of times they're the people who are upper levels of management in larger firms, or they've become a star architect. And so they're getting paid very well to be that person, to be that, I won't say personality, but, but you know, that's a name. It is now a name. So their fee is going to reflect that and their pay is going to reflect that. So, so we're going to fast forward a little bit because, you know, we've told you how much we aren't going to make and, you know, the, there are th you know, other things you're not going to have to do as an architect or that we don't do as architects. But, you know, once you're into that, that, I guess, work cycle, once you have a job and once you're working and you're, you're getting training on, on, this, on the job and whatnot, there are things that you're going to realize, oh, yeah, hey, we don't do that either. Yeah, this is so far we haven't even made it to the getting your own projects yet. But yeah, one of the things that I have learned, uh, you know, being a newly minted architect, um, as I've been working with clients, is that, you know, the project is, is seldom as straightforward as it seems. And 
I'll give my wife Faye credit for recognizing uh, the, re- the realization that the next point is something that architects don't do, um, which is we don't immediately give the clients exactly what they're looking for. And I guess the best way to, to illustrate that is through an example. You know, if you go into uh, if you go into sales, you know, you get a call from a client, the client puts orders in for 20 widgets from you. You know, you provide said widgets at a cost plus benefits. Oh gosh, I'm flashback to uh, high school economics. <laughs> but everybody, anyway, sorry. Everybody goes home happy. You know, you, you provided said widgets and it's a fairly black and white transaction, you know. Uh, whereas in a similar situation with an architect and a client, it's it's not so black and white. Client comes to you, says they want a house addition or remodel. Uh, they have a wish list of all the stuff that they want to see in that in that project. Um, a good architect will use that wish list as a as a guide, I guess, over the course of the design. But there's almost always some give and take as to what the end result will look like. I had a, I had an architect friend whose parents were looking to add a mother-in-law addition slash photography studio slash two-car garage in the back of their property. Um, it wouldn't be hard for him to have just rolled that entire wish list into one building, but because he knew that they were going to spend uh, a little bit more um, in other parts of you know repairing their house, uh, he knew that this was just stage one of, of an effort to remodel their house. Uh, so he ended up repurposing an existing space in their current house for the photography studio so that they could save some some square footage and money uh, to put into the garage and the mother-in-law addition and then also have some left over for the, the other things that they wanted to do around their property. It wasn't exactly how they envisioned the project working out, but everyone walked away happy with the results. So, you know, we don't always give the client what they want, but if we do it right, it's what they need. (laughs) Cue the Rolling Stones music. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That sounds oddly familiar. I don't know why, but yeah, it's, and it's true. I think it's, it's true on every project. We, you, there's no way to sit down and give them immediately everything that they could possibly want most of the time because they can never fit all of it into their budget. So you have to sort of pull that apart and say, what do you want? What do you need? And kind of figure out how you work the two together. But at that point, once you've got that done, you start getting into what is this thing really going to cost? And the reality is architects don't give out detailed construction cost breakdowns. That's not something that we do. Yeah, that's why we ask you to bring the the contractor in as you know as early as possible, so that they can help uh, help guide the the cost projections for the project as they go along. And you know, if things aren't lining up between a client's budget and and the you know and the actual the project that's getting designed, you know, he can say, "Hey, let's let's pump the brakes here, try to figure out ways that we can." alter or change things as they need to be to produce the final results. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we can usually, and I've done this with probably most clients give a general ballpark figure based on cost per square foot, just knowing 
having a general feel for what construction happens to be costing at the moment. Happens to be costing, that sounds terrible. What construction costs are at the moment, that sounds so much better. So we, we, we try to provide some sort of guidance in that way, but at the end of the day, you really want to have that contractor involved really early on, and he can help provide that sort of detailed breakdown. Yeah, and, and another thing that kind of rolls into you know, getting people involved early on, another thing that we don't do is, well, we're not engineers. We're not going to you know, spec, oh, these are... We have, a, we have a general idea of how the building goes together, again, based on past experience. But, you know, we really need to bring in, you know, structural engineers and mechanical engineers that really help flesh out a design as it moves forward. Right. So we, we can change our drawings, but, you know, it's always the engineers who are going to have their say because they know, you know, if it's a structural engineer, he knows how to size a beam properly. If it's the MEP, which is a mechanical, electrical, and plumbing engineer, and if your project's big enough to have one of those, well, good for you. Those guys will you know, talk about the air conditioning and how do you route all the plumbing and all that sort of stuff, and they're really good at what they do. And I've had this experience recently that I've had to tell a client, actually at the time it was a potential client, that I don't do mechanical and plumbing drawings. However, his brother, who's been in, in construction-related business for 40-plus years, was insisting that I was going to – something that architects would do. We would do the mechanical and the plumbing plans. And I'm like, no, no. First of all, I don't know enough about that to even begin to guess how to make that work. But the other thing is, is my insurance company would prefer I not – <laughs> because I am an architect and to take on another role, especially an engineering role, really, really does open us up to potential liability. So keep in mind, if you're working with someone, we are not engineers and we will tell you we are not engineers. And that's why we get the consultants involved so that they can tell us what we really need to do. The other thing that we don't do, when we're talking about consulting is, we don't design landscape. There's landscape architects that are very, very good at this. <laughs> and that's what we, you know, we hire them to do just like we do engineers. Yeah. And, and, and so if we're talking about the, the overall projection of, of, a, of, a, of the course of a project's life, you know, after you, after you've, worked out your um after you've worked out your your cost issues and, and gotten the the engineers involved and once the client approves and the engineers all have their say so you know it uh you know it the project will go to construction and it's at this stage where the architects get to visit the job site to provide uh contract administration which means you know, your architect is there to make sure the the contractor is is constructing the building in in the way in which it was drawn. Um, and while that does require regular site visits, it it doesn't mean we're going to visit the site every day, right? Because we don't visit the job site every day, and you don't want us visiting the job site every day. If if we have to be there every day, that means something is going horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> I. I had to tell a, a client who had interviewed another architect the 
one of the complaints that there, she had referred or used a client as a reference. And one of the complaints from the client was that she was at the job site every day and was continually sending them bills for her time for being out at the job site. And I looked at this guy and I said, if she's at the job site every day, something's wrong. She shouldn't be out there every day because that's not, that's just not a good sign. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Now we will visit often weekly or every other week, just depending on how big the project is and how involved it is. Or, you know, if the client calls us and says, hey, can you come out and look at something? Or sometimes a contractor will. Otherwise, as a client, you're just paying our hourly fee for fun. And I don't know any clients yet that that really want to do that. <laughs> plus, plus, there's the added, added benefit, too, that, you know, if we're on the job site every day, at some point, people are going to get the impression that we are in charge of things. And the reality is, is... We don't, and this is the last thing that like, we could think of that we really don't do, is that we don't give orders on a job site. Yeah, when we're when we're visiting your project in our official capacity as an architect, we want to be very very careful not to give any orders. And and one of my favorite uh, stock photos, uh, supposedly representing the profession of architecture, is is of an architect on a job site, you know, with drawings in hand, and he's got his hard hat, and he's pointing at something in the distance uh, on the on the site, and in it, while, while also in discussion with some other hard hat wearing person. And, and, and this photo is, is saying, you know, architects are in charge on the job site, and that really couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The, one of the first things that I don't know where I learned this or how I learned this, but it's this idea that we aren't responsible for materials or method of construction. That's up to the contractor. That's up to, I guess, the client picking materials. I don't know. It's it this really weird thing that, that has somehow been drilled into my head. But the other thing, too, is we also don't give instructions to the subcontractors. If you want to really piss off a contractor in a heartbeat, tell one of his subs to do something and see how long that lasts. But on, on the flip side of that though, too, is there's a challenge of making sure the owners don't tell the subcontractors to do something. We've had plenty of those discussions where something was done and the sub will say, well, the owner wanted me to do it. And that was pretty much the end of that conversation <laughs> because the only person out there to give orders really is the contractor. So we have gone now from school all the way, I guess, essentially through our project. And what that ends up being for the owners that we get a certificate of occupancy and Matthew and I get to do a final walkthrough with the owner and the general contractor and point out all the things that still need to be fixed. And then, yeah, and then we pretty much, hopefully after that, you, you sign off and say, okay, here's your building. And we get to walk away. Hopefully everybody walks away happy with it. Yeah, I, ideally everyone walks away happy with it. So, yeah. So, so we thought, you know, in, in contrast to the to the things you didn't know we do, we thought we'd share that with you. These are the things we actually don't do, and we hope that sheds a little bit more light on on what we what we are or who we are as architects, certainly, and what we're unable to do for legal or liability reasons. <laughs> yes, that that too. Uh, 
part, part of me is wondering if at some point shouldn't we uh, maybe should just get my my insurance rep on the phone and have that conversation on air. Uh, <laughs> better with him on air than in, a, in an attorney's office. So, yeah, so it's, it's and it's been interesting to, to for you and I to talk about these things because we've just become so accustomed of we don't do this and we don't do that or we do this and we do that. So it's nice to be able to sit down and kind of sort of lay these out and really think about each one of these things and, and what it is that we don't do. Now, next time, I think next, are we going to try to do Faye and James next time? Or is it going to be another week before we can get to them? I think it's going to be another week. Faye is Faye, Faye, Faye's still pretty busy. Okay, well, we'll see if we can come up with another list for next week. Maybe things we think we should do, but we don't. <laughs> <laughs> More of an aspirational tone to it. I like it. <laughs> well, there we go. The aspirational podcast. But in the meantime, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can, of course, find me on Facebook at Spotted Dog Architecture and on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at Spotted Dog Arch. And I'm on Twitter as Arch Geek Matt. So in the meantime, you know, stay safe uh, as things are opening up, and we'll talk to you guys later. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.